The following is a sermon from the Edgington Evangelical Presbyterian Church in Taylor Ridge, Illinois. Let me invite you now to open your copy of God's Word to Mark chapter 3. As you're opening to Mark chapter 3, the Gospel of Mark chapter 3, uh, we are in our sixth question in this summer transitional series, uh, questions, hard questions. So we've concluded uh, second and third generation patriarchs in the book of Genesis. Uh, Lord willing, in September, we're going to begin the book of Luke, and we'll be uh, doing uh, Luke straight through uh, by God's strength and grace and direction. Uh, but during this transitional period, we have the opportunity to, to take a pause from continuous exposition in one place and jump around, and the, the topics are these questions that are hard. I've been making this preface in every instance that when we say hard questions, we're trying to draw out questions that are hard, both in the sense of difficult questions that non-Christians might ask about the Christian faith, that you may have perhaps been on the receiving end and found yourself really stumbling to answer or uh, just absolutely stumped altogether, and you would think, that's a really good question, I don't know the answer. So questions that non-Christians might ask about the Christian faith, but also questions that Christian believers ask about their own faith, which are difficult to give an answer to. And as you look at the uh, sermon title this morning, you might conclude that this is one from both sides. Our question this morning, or rather two questions, but it's really going to be a whole host of questions. What is the unforgivable sin and can Christians commit it? Uh, hard question and one that I uh, wonder or perhaps am actually quite confident that you have maybe asked even about yourself. The unforgivable sin, what is it? And uh, what does this mean? Why is it in the Bible in the first place? There's a lot of uh, uncertainty, mystery, bad teaching on this topic. And uh, it just so happened that uh, in the order of questions, it comes to this Lord's Day. So if you're in Mark chapter 3, uh, it's where we find Jesus' instruction on this topic. And uh, if you've got your Bible open, let's pray together and we'll ask for God's grace and help as we approach this uh, quite, quite difficult topic. Let's pray. Well, God, our Father, we come now to your word humbly, praying that you would open it to us, and that you would also open our hearts to it, and that you would give us the illumination of your Holy Spirit, which recorded this word for us without error, and has now given it to us in this generation for our benefit and strength and help. Lord, give to us the spirit of discernment, the spirit of understanding, and the spirit of necessary humility and repentance to receive the truth from your word today. So bless your people and feed us by your word, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to be reading from Mark 3. We'll pick up at verse 20, which gives some context to the reading. We'll be reading uh, through verse 30. Hear now God's word, Mark 3, at verse 20. And he went home, and the crowd gathered again so that they could not eat, could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, He is out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebul, and by the prince of demons. He casts out the demons. And he called them to him and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? 
If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man, then indeed he may plunder his house. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man. But whatever blasphemies they utter, and whatever blasphemies they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying, he has an unclean spirit. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God abides forever. So keep your Bible open here as we ask this difficult question. Uh, what is this? Why is this? What does it mean? And is this something that we must be concerned about? And this passage uh, is in many ways one of the more difficult in all the gospel narratives. The question of the unpardonable or unforgivable sin has perplexed both Christians and non-Christians. Many Christians have wrestled with the meaning of these verses and wondered perhaps if they have themselves unknowingly, unwittingly committed that which cannot be forgiven. Oftentimes people are mistaken that blaspheming the Holy Spirit is some specific phrase or sentence that they can speak that by speaking these magical, condemnable words that they will utter something that will condemn them for all eternity. And now, in fact, there are many uh, who are atheists, unbelievers, who are trying to deliberately commit the sin. Uh, maybe you remember this was uh, back in 2006. There was a movement uh, on social media called the Blasphemy Challenge. And the purpose of the Blasphemy Challenge was people would record videos of themselves saying, I deny the Holy Spirit, and then put that on YouTube in this arrogant display of their unbelief, committing the blasphemy challenge with, with pride, saying, I deny the Holy Spirit, believing that this was exactly this unpardonable sin that they were proud to commit and publicly put it out for all people to see. This, of course, is uh, actually uh, foolishness and nonsense, uh, even if it is arrogant. But it also awakens us to the reality that this passage is quite terribly misunderstood, both by non-Christians and Christians alike. And the misunderstanding doesn't end with the unbelieving community. Uh, in fact, most of the concern that we should have about it is how Christian believers would interact with this difficult topic. So at this, this point, we should admit that we really should tread with a lot of caution into this text because Jesus is truly issuing one of the most severe warnings in all of the New Testament. A warning that has caused a lot of confusion, frustration, a warning that if misunderstood could really crush you, crush your spiritual life, and a warning that if ignored could send uh, someone to ruin. Look again at what Jesus says in verse 28 when he says, Truly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man, and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit can never have forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. When you read that, inevitably the first question is, have I done that? Have I, have I done that? Have I blasphemed against the Holy Spirit such that I can never have forgiveness? And I can't tell you uh, how many people have uh, asked me that question personally. How many people have believed and were concerned that they were themselves outside the possibility of God's forgiveness, having blasphemed the Spirit to such a degree that they have committed this unpardonable sin. Now, 
admitting to you that this is a weighty topic this morning, uh, difficult to be sure, uh, but maybe some of you know what it's like to feel that you are beyond forgiveness. Maybe not with respect to this particular issue, but maybe you know what it's like to have the, the racking sense of shame and guilt that says, I could not possibly be a recipient of God's mercy. So in order to understand this, we're first going to look at what this is not saying, what Jesus does not mean, and then we'll look at what he is saying, closing with some, hopefully, final thoughts, some encouragements, I hope, some warnings even. And again, this is a subject that has caused a lot of confusion. How, how is it possible that there could be an unpardonable sin? Doesn't it strike you as strange that there would be sin that could not be forgivable when we know that God forgives sinners? That's the point of the gospel. He sheds forth his mercy, that there's forgiveness in Jesus' name. Don't we say that God loves to offer forgiveness to sinners, and doesn't the gospel promise that very thing? Doesn't it seem that the very notion of an unforgivable sin seemingly contradicts the very heart of the Christian faith? So how do we reconcile these things? This is why it's a hard question. So what is the unpardonable sin? Usually what people think is that they would say, you know, surely there's got to be some kind of sin that's worse than other kinds of sins. There's a triage or, or hierarchy of sins. And, and while it is true that, that offenses of sins have different aggravations, our catechism does teach that, our tradition does not read the Bible and conclude that there are different types of sins. So we do not teach that the Bible says anything about mortal sin or venial sin, mortal sin being sins directly in affront to God, venial sins being lesser, not disruptive to God, or, but just merely against the rules. We don't teach moral, mortal and venial sins that the Bible says that. But there are people who think that, that murder is a, a greater sin, a greater aggravation, theft. Some people believe that and have taught that the unpardonable sin is only possible to be committed by someone upon their deathbed by a final rejection of Jesus at the last moment, and that is what is unpardonable because then they don't have time to turn from it on a person's deathbed. Again, some people think that this is something that you can just verbally say, some kind of magic cue, and automatically be cut off forever, which is, again, the reasoning behind this blasphemy challenge, but none of that is true. It's misguided, and it leads people into all sorts of confusion. But I have had many conversations with people, as I've said, and even know what it's like myself to think that it's not possible to be forgiven. That, that, that it's possible that maybe we've stumbled into this unforgivable sin and I've placed myself in that situation. They hear the gospel, they hear the good news, they hear about the forgiveness of sins, and somehow conclude that they are excluded from that ocean of forgiveness. That the river of God's forgiveness has dried up for them. But look again at verse 28. As Jesus issues this warning about this unpardonable sin, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, the unforgivable sin, notice how he couches it first in verse 28 by saying, people will be forgiven. Verse 28, people will be forgiven. All sins will be forgiven and whatever blasphemies they utter all of your sins and all of your blasphemies. Is it possible to be forgiven? The answer is yes. Yes. What you must do, of course, is you can look back earlier into Mark chapter 1, verse 15, as Jesus 
in beginning his ministry, announces the gospel as he says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Mark 1.15, repent and believe the gospel. How are people forgiven of their sins? By repentance and by faith, repenting and believing in the gospel. Jesus says all sins can be forgiven through his blood, by faith, receiving and resting in what he has done. His vicarious, obedient life. His vicarious, sacrificial death. The life that you fail to live, the life that I fail to live, the death that you and I deserve to die, Jesus has lived it and died it. So that by way of his resurrection, your sin can really, truly be forgiven. Not just because you hope it's true, but because there is a Savior you see, we have done a terrible injustice when we think that somehow we can do something that's so bad that God will not forgive us. And we are tempted to think that God is patient, but if you're the person who thinks that God's patience runs dry when it comes to you, don't forget about David. Don't forget about Peter. Don't forget about the centurion. Don't forget about Paul, the ardent persecutor of the church. All these that Jesus prays on the cross, Father, forgive them. There is forgiveness in Christ for the worst of offenders, and that means there is forgiveness in Jesus Christ for you, whoever you are, whatever it is that you have done. But grace isn't cheap. It doesn't come cheaply. That's an important thing to remember, but then we come back to this reality. So then how can there be this so-called unforgivable sin, as Jesus says, verse 29, whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. Is it because this God is not willing? Is it because God is not able? Because Jesus isn't able? If all sins can be pardoned, how can there be someone who is outside the realm of forgiveness eternally? What is the unpardonable sin? And we've seen what it's not. We see it here, though, in verse 29. Again, whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit can never have forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. Now, a word of context about the larger passage, and the reason why we read more of the text than just verse 28, 29, and 30, is because the larger context here is of the religious authorities, particularly the scribes, who were rejecting Jesus Christ, rejecting the knowledge of Christ that brings about Jesus to say these words. Not only is Jesus being rejected by the scribes, you also can read back, starting at verse 20, that he's being rejected even by his own family. He's saying he's out of his mind. The people are rejecting Jesus all over the place in the gospel narratives. But specifically here, the scribes are rejecting the knowledge of Christ that brings about Jesus to say the warning about blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. So we could say that the specific thing that Jesus is addressing here is blasphemy against the Spirit in the context of the scribes attributing the works of Jesus to Satan. They look at Jesus, they see the facts, the truth, the teaching, the reality, the miraculous acts, and they say, that is from the devil. A 
And that is what brings about Jesus to say this warning about the, the unpardonable sin. The scribes were denying the evidence of who Jesus was, which Jesus' own works were empowered by the Spirit, and they were rejecting Jesus. They were turning their hearts away from God, hardening their hearts against Jesus, and rejecting the possibility of forgiveness. And so hear this very clearly. This is called blasphemy against the Holy Spirit because the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Christ, to reveal Christ, to point people to Christ, and to awaken people of their need of Jesus by bringing about repentance. And when Christ is rejected, when the gospel is rejected, it is the work of the Spirit that is also being rejected and blasphemed. And when the Spirit is blasphemed in that way, through rejecting Christ, it produces a penalty for which there is no pardon. Jesus is warning that it is possible to so reject the truth of the gospel, to so reject himself, that what they have done is to fundamentally deny in hostility the work of the Holy Spirit, and so, Jesus says, blaspheme the Spirit. But remember, it is not the case that it is one particular sin that cannot be forgiven so much as it is the end result of a process where there comes a point when the Holy Spirit will no longer bring the conviction of sin, will no longer bring them by the grace of God to repentance. There comes a point when the clear and unmistakable truth about Jesus Christ is so ignored and so rejected that God will remove the possibility and means of forgiveness by removing His Spirit from them. Listen closely to this. If a sin is unforgivable, it's only unforgivable because it becomes impossible to repent. Because repentance is the means of forgiveness and if we reject Jesus to this degree, that we have so forsaken, so turned away, so rejected, it places us impossible to repent. So notice that Jesus doesn't say these scribes have committed this. He is warning them about it. He is warning them, you are very close to this danger of so rejecting the truth of Jesus Christ. This is not something that you can just merely speak a word and have the Spirit removed from you. It's not a one-time sin that makes it impossible for you to repent. No, it is the habitual rejection of the truth. And the best way, I think, to illustrate this in the most cross-seasonal way possible is what we could call spiritual frostbite. Spiritual frostbite. Nobody's going to be concerned about frostbite this coming week, but as it relates to this issue, the best way to understand it is that very reality. You understand about frostbite, you're out in the cold, one of our harsh winters, and what happens when you're out in the cold is that your extremities start to pump blood to your core to warm you up. And as the blood flows from the extremities back to the core, blood flow lessens in the extremities and you start to say things like, boy, my hands are freezing, I'm cold. It's your body telling you to do something. There's, there's a pain that's associated with being cold like that. There's a chill. There's a tingling. There's a throbbing where you can almost feel your very heartbeat in your extremities themselves. And then they start to change colors. 
and uh, your mother says, get inside, what are you doing? Or come inside or cover up. And your friends come to you and plead with you, put gloves on, put a hat on, what's the matter with you? Why are you out in the cold? And you see them going inside and sitting in front of the fireplace and warming up, but you refuse to go in and you say, no, I'm fine out here. I'm not cold, I don't want your gloves. They even might offer it to you. You put it on for a season and throw it back off and saying, I don't want your gloves, I don't want your warmth. You think that it's weak to need gloves and warm socks, I don't want your help. And you go on and stay out in the cold with all of the warnings, insisting that you're fine. You know what happens? You stop being cold. There will be no tingling sensation left, no pain to alert you to go inside. Most people who perish from frostbite do so because they have removed all of their clothings because the last thing that happens to your body is the lie that tells you that you're actually overheated. And you die of frostbite because you have lost all sensation. No pain to alert you to go inside. Your hands turn purple, then the end of your fingers turn black, and all feeling is lost. And all of this lack of pain is not a sign of health, but the impending death of your extremities. And in the very same way, there comes a time for people who reject Jesus Christ that there will be no longer any warning signs and they're totally convinced that they're absolutely fine. They will have turned away from the knowledge of Christ over and over, and in so doing, God's Spirit has withdrawn from them, making it impossible to repent. It is not that God is unable to forgive them as much as it is that God has finally handed them over to the hardness of their heart. There will be some who hear about Jesus and embrace Him and run from their sins to Him, and there will be others who scour and think that faith makes you weak and reject the knowledge of Christ in supposed intelligence. And this is why the Puritan ministers used to say, the same sun which melts the butter hardens the clay. The same gospel truth does one thing in one person's heart and something totally different in another. That there will be some who embrace and some who reject and those who reject Jesus do so because they don't see their need of him. And there will come a day when it will be impossible for them to do so. Sin is unforgivable only when it can be no longer repented of. So, the purpose in both asking and explaining all of this, and Christ's purpose in teaching this to the scribes here, is to warn them. To frighten the comfortable. But actually, in most cases, isn't it that these people who think the most about this, who are concerned, the person who is most likely to ask the question, have I committed the unforgivable sin, is someone who is frightened and needs to be comforted. Jesus is here frightening those who are too comfortable. But a Christian believer is someone who is frightened unnecessarily because Christian believer, if you ask the question, have I committed the unforgivable sin? And it pings your conscience. It is the first evidence that you have not and that you cannot. Because if you would, you would not care. If you have any conscience whatsoever to be concerned, it is the evidence of the Holy Spirit's work in your heart that you care about these things in the first place. True Christians cannot blaspheme the Holy Spirit who dwells within them. But the warning of the New Testament is 
is that it is possible for someone who makes a verbal profession but then demonstrates by their life that they are in fact apostate, not believing. But true Christians cannot blaspheme the Holy Spirit because the Spirit is already living inside of them, guiding them, disciplining them, leading them to repentance. And it is the ministry of the Holy Spirit to bring about this repentance when you feel convicted about sin, and you should, when you feel convicted about the need to repent, it is proof that the Spirit is alive in you and working His ministry upon you, and so you should not ignore Him. You should also not be concerned that you are at risk of committing the very sin that Jesus says is not possible for you to commit because the Spirit lives within you. But, also we should say, for anyone who has not believed upon the Lord Jesus, for anyone who has not trusted Him and truly committed their life to Him, if you sense a conviction of your sin, you should not squelch it. You should not turn from it. You should embrace it because it will lead you to repentance. You can only receive the healing medicine if you embrace the diagnosis. And the Spirit's work is to lead you to the truth of your need for repentance. So the gospel says, while it is true that you are more sinful than you imagined, the good news is, is that you are also more loved than you dared dreamed. And this is what leads us to Jesus, who is gentle and lowly and welcomes sinners with forgiveness in order to change them to be more like him. So Christian, if your conscience is tender on this point, look to Jesus. And if your heart is hardened at this point, look to Jesus. And if you're somewhere in between, look to Jesus, who offers you grace and forgiveness for all that you have done. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you even for hard and difficult teachings of the Bible. We know, Lord, that not all is easy and not all is comfortable. But Lord, all of your truth is necessary for us to hear so, Lord, would you, by your Holy Spirit, work upon our consciences and soothe our hearts to lead us into the truth of the forgiving grace of Jesus Christ, who is a friend of sinners. And, Lord, for those of us who our hearts need to be moved from a place of hardness and recalcitrant, unreception of Jesus and rejection, Lord, would you lead us by your Spirit into mercy. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's sermon. If you would like more information about our church or its ministries, please visit edgingtonepc.org. May God bless and keep you.